we had, in a sense, the last time we were together, discussed as a sort of overarching question of what is fellowship. And we had introduced it with the first uh, four verses of the first chapter of First John. It's a lot of firsts. But we had talked about how um, it, it, we read here that um, Jesus, uh, who is being referenced here, the, 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 the word of life, whatever, however you want to describe it there, uh, had been with God from the beginning. And uh, we go on a little bit further, the last, uh, the second, the third and fourth verse, excuse me, we talk about fellowship and we talk about how that by doing all of these things, we said that your joy would be made full. That was the um, descriptor there. So when we left, we had read verses five down through chapter two, verse two. My Bible entitles that fellowship with him and one another. And so if we're going to continue with our fellowship sort of discussion uh, here this evening. So while we get through this, uh, I think that we should without any difficulty. I think Tony read this before we, the last thing on Wednesday. So it feels right for her to just have to read it again here at the start of this one. But uh, we read it to finish with, and we just kind of briefly addressed it, and I said, we'll do it again this time. So Tony, if you don't care, to uh, chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Okay, we'll get into all of that here as we go. Um, but we had asked the question uh, specifically in verse five when we left last week uh, to explain what does it mean when it says that God is light. And we talked about light and we talked also uh, about, you know, when we watched the video to start with and we turn the lights off and we, you know, we know sort of what that is. But just a real quick response to it, what does that phrase mean? in verse 5 mean when it says God is light? Well, God is, I don't know how to say it, but God's a very personification of uh, He's perfect, He's complete, there's no sin to be found. There's nothing that defiles or Perfect or anything like that. That, that is not God. That sure. Is not God. God is perfect in every way. And we oftentimes, though, 
we there'd be a lot more people describe light as being perfect than dark. You know, I've heard people say, Kevin Robinson said a thousand times it's not meant for people to work at night. You probably echo that, you know. But it, 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 God is perfect, He's complete, He's pure, He's, uh, and you know, you'll find it hardly any other place. True. So. So in the, in the second part then of verse 5, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And we know then if light exposes everything, then darkness would conceal. And if you're, you know, if, if you're thinking about what, if lightness is exposing, you know, the truth, the goodness, the righteousness, uh, whatever other term you might want to use in that sense, then the opposite of that would be darkness, which would be concealing what? Okay. It would be concealing light, but it's not really concealing light. Like that, I'm not, I don't mean like turn the lights off. But if lightness it exposes the goodness and the righteousness of God, what would darkness then do? It would conceal sin. sin. There you go. So dark. So when we say walk in the light here, what we're going to talk about uh, more specifically in verse seven, if walking in the light would be to rid ourselves of what sin. And walk more in the goodness, holiness, righteousness, whatever it says. So it's easy for me to say to walk in the light. Okay? It's also easy for me to say that when you wake up at night, turn the lamp on as you, you know, as you're walking to the restroom or flip the overhead light on or whatever it might be. I would encourage you to do that for what reason? For safety, right? That's a safety encouragement. You can walk through your house in the dark. I can walk through the house in the dark. It's not that you can't, but it complicates things. <coughs> it makes things difficult. And so, if we're going to talk about walking in the light, <clears throat> verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how do we do that? How do you walk in the light? Because I can, again, we can put the light switch on and we understand it in this physical building. How do we walk in the light in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7? What does that mean? Try to live like it. Try to live like it. Okay? Try to live like it. How else would we maybe describe walking in the light? Could we say that the message that the apostles and Jesus left was, uh, would be light? I think so. Yeah. I think, and sometimes you'll see that word light capitalized. But I think you're exactly right there, Leland, that you know, you're going to follow, in a sense, the message, the guidebook uh, that would show us how. Any other thoughts on walking in the light? Trying not to sin. Okay? Now, it's funny that Britt and I overlap a little bit, I think, in the last couple of classes. But Brent mentioned, and he was, I think Brent mentioned this, he was right, and said that can we be harmed in the light? Physically, as we're walking, can, can you be harmed? Sure you can. Sure you can. We, we, you can step your toe in the house when it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon just as easy as when it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay? Will we, can we make mistakes or do the wrong thing in the light? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm sort of mixing the story here, of course, between sort of a, this is what light is like in a physical building or a room, but also walking in the light. But what light does for us, and sort of in a reference to what Leland was saying there, is it shows a path for us. And if the message or if the teachings of Jesus, if the teachings of the apostles 
or our message or our path or our light, then what happens if we take a step off of that path? Good. You still have an opportunity. It's not necessarily the worst thing, but one of the things that people say happens, and I, I can't speak for this because I'm not really an explorer, but they said sometimes people will end up lost and they're not really that far from where they actually tried to be. But when we take one wrong step, we sometimes do what? We give up. Say it again. Some people give up, but sometimes people will take a second step to try and correct the first step. Well, if I'm trying to walk from here to the back of the room, if, I, if this is my first step, well, I'm not going exactly the right way, but I'm not exactly wrong either. But what if my next step is to turn this way? Where, how far am I getting from where I'm supposed to go? I'm moving farther away. So when we talk about walking in the light, the opposite of that would be walking in darkness. And if we're not careful, I hope you're understanding what we're saying right here, the longer we walk out of the light, the more steps we take in the darkness. Does that make it tougher and tougher to come back to the light? It makes it easier to go I'm sorry? It makes it easier to go the wrong Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question then. Because we've been, we've pretty clear what walking in the light is. Now I think we kind of see what walking in the darkness is. Can you walk in light and darkness at the same time? Yeah. Just show of hands. You gotta know. So who would say no? Can you walk in light and darkness at the same time? Who would say yes? Okay. Why would we say no to walking in light and darkness at the same time. Well, we can we can fool ourselves. Uh, there's people that are terrible alcoholics that say I don't have a drinking problem, okay? Uh, but they're terrible. They have fooled themselves into the thinking that the police may think they got a drinking problem, the wife and kids may think they got a drinking problem, but the person says I don't have a drinking problem. Uh, they think they're walking in a lot. You know, <coughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm right. Good. I guarantee you probably 90% of the people that have been pulled over drunk driving have told the policeman, well, I've just had a couple, you know. Right. Uh, they, uh, they think they're okay, and then the reason police are pulled over because they're weak and all the you know, uh, So we may fool ourselves, but it's, uh, it's, we aren't fooling God, and we aren't being, we aren't being truthful, you know. Okay. I think it can be about, because I think we sit every day, and I mean, we think we're walking straight and narrow, but then if we, we have to ask for forgiveness, so I think it could be Maybe not totally off the deep end. Right. I think here's the difference in that. Is that if we're walking in the light, light, we are purposefully trying to remain in that light. And I think the opposite of that is walking in darkness when you're purposely choosing, I'm going to do this. So yes, I think you're right, Jill, in the sense that, I mean, everybody has sex. We, we, we read the Bible. All men what? Fall, sin, fall short of the glory of God. So that's not the same. But there's a difference in... I made a mistake, and I have purposefully stepped over to here. Does that change anyone's thoughts on light and darkness? If you're walking, if this room is pitch black dark, and you're walking in it, there's no light, right? But if you have a cigarette light or whatever, the whole room is dark, except for that one little flame, are you in the light or the dark? 
The light is the light is shown there. Okay. Now, if we walk in the light instead of walk in the darkness, that's what we're going for right there. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's where we get back to what you were saying right there, Jill, where that's our fix for perhaps maybe taking the wrong step. So let's go a little bit further then. How does blood of Christ cleanse a Christian from sin? This is probably not a hard question, but we'll ask him anyway. How does Christ's blood cleanse a Christian from sin? We're forgiven. Okay. We are forgiven. How else? All right. So that's that is sort of the cost, the payment, if you will, that would allow us to be able to have uh, eternal life in heaven when this is over. So Jesus's death sort of frees us from sin. Okay. So Jesus's death, in a sense, exposes us to the light. Okay. It shares his life and then his death shared that light from us. Now, Jesus's death, shedding of blood, that blood cleanses us, but it doesn't automatically Cleanses, correct? Because if Jesus' death automatically cleanses everyone, what would be the potential conflict that could come from that? There'd really be no reason to do good, right? So it's sort of a two-part thing. Jesus said, I have died for you. Jesus dies for you, but then what do you on the flip side have to do? You have, to, oh, Joe, you have to come into contact with that, that still blood. Now, this does not mean that I have to go somewhere and try to find you know, a pint of Jesus' blood that somehow stayed open and, and rub it. That's not what we're talking about. How do we come in contact with the blood of Christ? Baptism. So it's figurative description. But when we think about cleansing ourselves, Baptism cleanses us how? Takes your sins away, right? And it's a descriptor right there in front of everybody, but it doesn't have to be in front of anybody, but right there in front of everybody. But you go down and you come up and that water washes off of you. When you get out of the swimming pool or you get out of the tub or out of the shower, that water runs right down off of you, right? I think absolutely. I think you'd have to say that. And that's where that cleansing takes place right there. Now, the idea of baptism, the act of a baptism, is a very old historical thing. People were being baptized way before Jesus, way before John. It had nothing to do with Christianity. It was just a way of a purification method, a cleansing uh, that people would do. It was sort of a symbol of like, I am sort of making a change. A lot of Christianity is adapted from things that already exist. But baptism showed that. It was you saying to the people, it was you saying to God, I am making a change. Does that make sense? 
to walk in the light. We're stepping out of the darkness and into the light. When are the sins forgiven? When we're baptized. When we're baptized. Okay? So, it, it should be like a weight loss thing, right? When you go down, you carry a lot. When you come up, it, uh, you know, it doesn't... Uh, you don't have it there as much. I probably need to be baptized handful more times, you know, to shed a little bit, I guess. But when we think about when we come out of the water, that's as good as probably we'll ever be, right? Because why? Our sins are washed away. Okay, so how does that work with what Jill just said about five minutes ago that people sin all the time? How does me being baptized Work against work with what Jill just said. Well, people that are uh, trying to be Christ-like do not willfully sin, but people that are being Christ-like they do make mistakes. People that and agree with Jill on that. But I just thought this verse right here: Jesus said, "He who's not with me is against me, and he who's not gathered with me scatters abroad." Matthew twelve twenty thirty. Uh, there's a whole lot of political correctness in the world. We use that term all the time. Okay? There's a whole lot of people used to say they were straddling the fence. Okay? You know, uh, I'm not, I'm not for this or against it. Politicians are the notorious for this. You know, they're kind of for it, they're kind of against it. Depending on the topic. Uh, a lot of Christians that way. They really, 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 really want Jesus in their life. Whenever the doctor tells them they've got cancer, or the doctor tells them they've got heart disease or kidney failure, they really want it. But then when the doctor says, "Well," We were wrong. You're good. We, we, everything's fine. Then they're not so concerned about Jesus. Uh, they may quit coming to church. They may quit praying. They may quit doing a lot of things that they were trying to do that's good. We try to straddle the fence. Jesus makes it fun and clear. You're either with him or against him. That doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. That does not mean that at all. You do, but you are doing everything in your power to walk in the line. I can walk right over to this parts store tomorrow and probably can steal something and get away with it, okay? But why would I even think of doing that as a Christian, okay? Why would I even think of doing that? So look at the, I, there's, there's not anything on that he got that I want. It's the first thing, you know, you know that I need to steal for. Uh, so we have to be careful because we try to straddle the fence on too many issues, and you cannot do that in Christianity. And what uh, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot, or I wish you were covered, but you're lukewarm. And that's what Christians, a lot of times, there's a lot of lukewarm Christians. They want Jesus when it's handy for them, but they don't want him when it's not convenient for them. And so, therefore, they are not walking in life. They may profess to be, but they're not. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I see people put stuff on Facebook, curse, 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 curse. And then the next day, put, smile as God loves you. You know, God loves God. Loves God. You know, just stuff like that. Uh, you're one or the other. Could we be in trouble by saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this sin because I know that I can get forgiveness for, you know, don't you think that's the wrong attitude? Hold on to that for just a second. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Verse 9 of chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Okay, so now if we're thinking about prior to baptism, one of the things that we'll do is confess our sins. But if we've made it clear that we're still probably people still make mistakes even after the fact, then what does that tell us we have to do even after the fact? Continue to confess our 
we have to continue to confess our sins. Now, who do we confess our sins to? Well, if it's private, you confess it to God. If it's public, you should confess before the church. Okay. If it's something not well known in the community and everybody knows it's been going on for years or whatever, you should go before the church and ask the church to the church. Okay. If it's just between you and, you know, you're, you know, I went over there, I stole something. And no one knows, everyone's caught. I need to make that right and I need to, uh, I need to confess it to God. Okay. So when we think about confession, we think about, you know, we tend to think about um, lawyers and, you know, court system and that we have a confession from a person. So, you know, we'll take the next steps. So we confess our sins. He is faithful and just then to forgive us of our sins. Okay. So if we hold up our end of the deal, then what the Bible says right there, then God will hold up his end of the deal. Correct. So. It would seem then, if we can go back to what Leland said, that maybe we could just pre-plan our sins, if that makes sense. Well, I'm going to do this because I know that this can be done as a result of it, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to sin, you know, I, I, this is, I'm purposely going to do this, but I know that you know, First John chapter one verse nine there says that I can that everything's good. What's wrong with that line of thinking? We have to be truly sorry for what we've done and, and not just live live service about it. And really, if you're a Christian, you're not in the sinning business. Now we're going to make mistakes, you know, and, and it's it's wonderful that we can have forgiveness of it, you know. Otherwise, we'd have no hope. You're, you're right, we have to have the right attitude. You've ever heard an insincere apology? Yeah. One of my favorite movies is from back in the 80s, the movie Hoosiers, which is a basketball movie. And early on in the show, the new coach is there, and two kids kind of get smart with the coach, and the coach says, he says, you know, I, I'm not putting up with this. And they left. The two kids, they said, well, I don't want to be part of this. I'm going to transfer to the next school over. Well, about 30 minutes later, the, the practice has been going on, and one of the boys' his dad sort of walks him in, and he said, tell him, son. And the dad is a big, hulking guy, and the boy's like, sorry what I said, coach, we'll have again. And it was like, I always looked at that, and I thought, was that really a sincere apology? Or was that boy's dad saying, I'm going to whip you up one side and down the other if you don't go back and fix that? We've all heard an insincere apology, right? I don't know if that boy was really sorry about what it is. Have we ever given an insincere apology? Probably we have. So I think what Leland said, we're going to get to, uh, we'll get to the verse here in just a minute to deal with it. But what Leland said sort of eliminates that apology, right? If I am purposely, if I'm claiming to be a Christian, but I'm going to purposely sin because I know I'm going to play my confession card once I get done, then I have used and abused this, right? What are we reading in Romans? What's Paul write in Romans about sin? He says, God forbid, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what we're doing right there. If I say, well, I've got this step or I can go this way. You know, I can take this step or that step. Well, I'm going to take this step because I know it'll be fine. I'll, I'll take care of that. Well, 
Maybe. But this play kind of a risky game, though, right? Because it seems to me that you're not truly doing what you doing what's right. You're not. You're counting on, you know, sort of grace that that's not really what it's laid there for. Thoughts? Right. It, it goes back to the premise, though. First thing, you have to be walking in the light. Right. Okay. You can, if you're not walking in the light, making no pretense whatsoever, walking the light, you can confess all you want to. You know, you just say, "Well, I'm not going. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to tell God every day, God, I'm sorry I got drunk last night. God, I'm sorry I got drunk last night. You know, for the next 300 years. Okay. And it, it it's not worth. It's not worth your even. You, there's no need even to say it. You know. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because that's not God. the point is you have to be walking in the light to begin with, making the diligent effort to walk in the light. And then when you do slip up, and you will, you can ask for forgiveness. So seven, eight, nine, ten, we see that in, in these handful of verses. One, if we walk in the light, uh, in verse seven, number eight, if we say we have no sin, we're not lying to God. He already knows that. Who are we lying to? We deceive ourselves. Verse nine, if we confess our sins. So that, verse nine is back to a sort of a positive thing. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he'll forgive them. But verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it's absolutely certain that we have to get our sins removed. But it's also absolutely certain that we're going to make mistakes in the process. So we can't say, well, I was baptized and saved and everything is good from now on because we're lying. First Kings says, no, we absolutely will sin. But we also can't say, well, you know, I've already, I've sinned and I'm just, you know, I took one wrong step and the show's over. I can't ever be, nothing ever good can ever come from me again. Kind of works hand in hand. There's a lot of chapter one, chapter two, and first John where the verses sort of overlap, where you get sort of a positive and then a negative. Let's go to verse one that Tony read just a moment ago. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. So he says, I'm telling you all of this. We're going to see that what we've already read, but what also comes in chapter two. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I'm giving you directions on how to not mess up. How many of you have ever been instructed on something? Maybe at work. They told you how to do it. Well, it may have not been that big of a deal, but it might have been a difference in life and death. There's probably some of you that have been involved in situations or worked with things that the wrong move could cut a limb off or could kill you. That can happen, right? So whenever you're being told, I'm telling you this for your benefit and for your safety. Okay? I'm I'm not in the military, but I'd say when they give you the gun at the military, they probably got to go over a few things before you get it, right? We have some kids that sometimes leave when they graduate high school and they go to the military. Like, wow, if this is what's protecting us, I'm worried. (laughs) But with some instruction, maybe it'll be there. So what he's saying right here in verse 1, I'm telling you this so that you won't sin. But you're going to make a mistake. Because your instructions when you're working with a machine or whatever it is, is if you do this and it's wrong, the same part is here to fix it. Okay? Because I can't let your arm just keep getting cut up when the button's right there. You've got to be able to figure out how to fix it. 
He says in verse 1 right there that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have a what? What's that word that we said? He, we have an advocate. What is an advocate in verse 1 right there? A go-between. That's a Greek word right there. Paracletus is the word. I'm not claiming to know anything about Greek. But I have done a little bit of Greek studying this summer uh, to try and figure it out. It's all Greek to you, so it doesn't matter. But it's used as sort of a counselor, a helper, or a comforter is what that word really means. Okay? A counselor, a helper, or a comforter. So I want to take a few minutes and look at each of those three words and how does Jesus play that role. First of all, how does Jesus play the role of a counselor? Think about a guidance counselor in school or something like that. Okay? So we have some guidance, some counseling that's right there. Sometimes we hear the word counselor described as somebody who represents somebody, a lawyer. Okay? Why do why? Why is it better for the lawyer to talk in court than for you to talk in court? They know what they're talking about. They know what you're talking about. They're talking about you don't. You say something real loud, and you're going to go to jail for 20 years, right? No, I shouldn't have said that. All right? The counselor kind of provides that counseling. Connie, you're exactly right. We read the book. What do I do in this situation? Let's read and find out. There are all sorts of little bookmarks and posters and signs that say, if you feel like this, read this. If you feel sad, read this. If you feel lonely, read this. What is that supposed to do for me? What's the purpose of that? It's supposed to help me. Okay? Well, I, life is perfect right now. I don't feel sad at all. Well, maybe I don't need to read that. But there's probably something that I need to read. So it's going to work as a counselor. So then let's look at the second one then. After a counselor, a helper. What is a helper? Could we say a go-between? A go-between, sure. Christ is a go-between between us and God. Sure. And he's pleading our case. He's helping, right? He's saying, I've been here. I know. Can you and I get to heaven without Christ? No. Anybody ever heard somebody say, or maybe it happened in your life, there's no way I could have finished math class without her help or his help. There's no way we'd have got the roof on without their help. There's no way the tobacco, could, the tobacco would have got cut without their help. That helper is the difference between us succeeding and failing, right? Jesus is the difference between us succeeding and failing. Jesus is that go-between, that helper. Jesus said, unless you believe I'm he, you'll die in your sins. Absolutely. Now, the third one, comforter. And before you do that, though, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Connie alluded to this. All things that pertain to life and God through the knowledge of him that has called us to joy and virtue. Uh, we've been given all things. So there is not one situation that you can have in your life so we have counseling, we have help, which to me, help seems more like a physical drag you along. What about comfort? A comforter. You might have a comforter on the bed. What's the purpose of a comforter on your bed? Keep you warm. Keep you warm, alright? You put it down at the end of the bed not so you don't make it. <laughs> 
So you have a comforter, right? I need a new comforter for my for my bed or whatever it might be. But that comfort, you sort of wrap it around it, right? You know, there's nothing better than, you know, when you feel it, you got those three or four blankets over you when it's cold outside and you kind of snuggle in right there. How does Christ serve as a comforter for us in that description right there? It just makes you feel better. Absolutely. He wraps you in his arms. It makes you feel better. And protection. Okay? So that comforter is sort of wrapped around us. The comforter is worthless at the end of the day. I mean, she needs to know that. <laughs> the comforter works that they don't make those so you can just lay them up in the bed and make them so you'll be warmed up with them. Okay? Jesus is our comforter. Well, I'll look for it. Or you'll be like me, then. Don't use the old one at night and Google your good. All right, so this word advocate, we see counselor, we see helper, we see comforter. The early church, the rings that I've read, the early church sort of viewed this advocate as the Holy Spirit. That was sort of how the early church sort of viewed it. It's that sort of middle way, if you will, okay? Because Jesus was already gone. God was, God was never here as a physical here as God standing on the earth. But Jesus came as God incarnate, if you want to use that word. But they sort of viewed that as that Holy Spirit that sort of existed sort of within. That's how the early church sort of viewed that term. We don't often think about things that way, okay? But we think, about what role does the Holy Spirit play for us today? All three of those things. All three of those things. All three of those things. Because we can't physically see God, right? We can't physically be hugged by Jesus. Comforter, if you want to use that word. That Holy Spirit sort of Three things. We don't, I don't know that we always talk. We talk about God and Jesus way more than the Holy Spirit. I think it's because it's confusing in a lot of cases. But that's sort of what that word was referencing there uh, in the Greek, the way that it was used here in John. Okay, let's go to the last verse. Uh-huh. Sure. Verse, chapter 2, verse 2. We'll finish up here. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Anybody have a different word or term besides propitiation there? Payment, okay. In some, some verses or some translations it's referred to, you'll see it as an atoning sacrifice. They all sort of mean the same thing. But I told you I was going to go a little Greek for you here. I'm going to go Greek for you one more time here. This word is halasmos, okay? What this Greek word is. And it is a sacrifice, think about this, a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God and makes God favorable toward man. Is that a fitting description of what Jesus was? Because when God looks on, Jesus, not, no Jesus yet. When God looks down on us, what would he have seen? The people of the earth. What did he see? Sin. Sin. Things that he could not bear to stand, right? And so that would have made someone, that would have made him angry, I think. I think it's fair to say. But so he sends his son that Jesus' role was to do what? Make us more appealing to God, right? Because we all have agreed, we we can't do that ourselves. So Jesus' responsibility was to, as we said right there, appease 
the, the wrath, if you would, of God. So the propitiation uh, toward man. Jesus is that because he subbed in for us. Think about what a sub is. Okay? Anybody ever had a substitute at your job? Okay. You ever played sports? They put a sub in. The real reason that they put a sub in is because whoever's playing is not getting the job done the way they're supposed to. There's been players that play basketball at UK that I was just like, please put somebody else in. And that he's not getting it done. You put somebody else in, it's like, oh, things a lot better now. Well, guess who wasn't getting it done? None of us. Guess who subbed in? Christ did. Worked a whole lot better, right? Jesus is the advocate who defends us against God's anger. When we think about fellowship, when we think about being together, we're together as a church. But we have fellowship, if you would, with the Lord because of what Jesus did for us. Thoughts? Questions? Absolutely. The last thing, not for ours only, but for also also for the whole world. 